Just keep grinding, all right? We're getting better each and every day. Running left to the goal line, fighting his way in as the Texans grab the lead. Let's go to work, baby! Takes the gift, has time, throws to the end zone, caught, and it's a touchdown! Love the energy. Wrapped up for a loss for the TFL inside the 10. All right, let's do it. The Texans are going to the playoffs! Definitely talking about. Now, it's Texans All-Access Playoff Edition. Oh, yes, it is, Texans. Good evening. Welcome. We are getting oh so closer to kickoff when the Texans take on the Cleveland Browns on Saturday, and we are stoked tonight. Huge two-hour program. We're going to have Greg Grissom, president of the Texans, on the air at about 6.30 tonight, and he'll talk about the game that will be 3.30 Saturday. A little bit later on, Johnny and I will dig into some things related to the game and other things around the NFL. Also, a Nico Collins appreciation segment in our number two. You don't want to miss that. Everything you needed to know about Nico and more. And later on this hour, Jonathan Grenard. Seeing that number 52 at practice was a beautiful thing. But, of course, we begin because it's Thursday with the General John McClain. It's Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Let's rock, gentlemen. General, I know you're ready. You're fired up. Your level of excitement, sir, heading into Saturday as the Texans, the AFC South champions, get it on with the Browns. On a scale of 1 to 10 and 11, because everything that's happened this year is almost inexplicable because nobody could have envisioned it. And had they lost the Indianapolis game, people would have been disappointed. But looking back over the season, it's been a rousing success. So they win the game. Now they're in the playoffs. They're the underdog. It won't surprise me if they win. One of the problems, Joe Flacco has been a great playoff quarterback, and he is on a roll, but so is C.J. Stroud. So they're wacko for Flacco in Cleveland, and they're proud for Stroud in Houston, and I'm ready for the game right now. General, if you had to kind of just hone it down to two keys, one on offense and one on defense for the Texans to get a win, obviously offensively C.J. Stroud is back. Uh, for this game, he obviously wasn't in that uh, Christmas Eve game. Defensively, they got shredded by Amari Cooper, uh, who's been dealing with a heel issue. One key on each side of the ball that you think is imperative that the Texans do to get a win against Cleveland. Pass coverage has to be so much better than it was in that 36-22 game. It wasn't nearly that close. Derek Stingley Jr., AFC Defensive Player of the Month, who's been outstanding his rating against him has been like 55, and against the Browns, it was 109.4. He gave up three catches, 43 yards, one touchdown, one interception. So he and whoever else, and I know they keep him on their own side, they have to do better against Amari Cooper. And the safeties who've struggled in coverage, you know, you think about they're missing three of their top four safeties. And the after Jalen Petrie, the other three were all signed off the street. So uh, he's going to go deep, and the corners are going to be running with him. I don't see him coming out playing the three-deep zone or quarters. That's not their style, but they have to be able to play better coverage. And on offense, I think the – you know, it's amazing. The Texans finished plus 10 in turnover differential, which is astounding with a rookie quarterback. Because rookie quarterbacks who throw the ball down the field have interceptions. C.J. Stroud didn't. Threw only interceptions in three games, five overall. 
one of three quarterbacks in history, lead the league in average yards per attempt and touchdown interception differential. And so I would think if if Stroud, two of two of red zone in that Indianapolis game, and they had been 17th or 19th in red zone touchdowns coming in, when they get down inside the 20, instead of having Kaimi Fairbairn kick field goals, they need touchdowns. They need touchdowns, and I know just the guy to help them get them, which would be C.J. Stroud, who did not play in the first meeting, as we all talk about. But, General, a couple of things about Stroud. And Vanderkid, too, that would be the 11-year-old, soon-to-be 11-year-old, wanted me to ask you this. He wanted to know what you think historically of what you've seen out of Stroud. Now that the regular season is in the books, we venture into the postseason where the real reputations are made with quarterbacks. But what we saw throughout the 17-game campaign, can you sort of just put it into words for us, this kind of campaign, his rookie season, what you saw out of C.J. Stroud? You can tell soon-to-be 11-year-old Vander kid that I've seen uh, – uh, I saw Warren Moon as a rookie, 28-year-old rookie. I saw Steve McNair as a rookie. I saw uh, Deshaun Watson as a rookie, David Carr as a rookie. And C.J. Stroud as a rookie has been better than all of them. Now, Warren Moon developed into a first ballot Hall of Famer. And uh, so Stroud is off to the best start I've seen. And what makes it even more amazing is his, his poise, his decision-making, and his accuracy. And, and, and everybody around the league sees it. He's getting so much attention, and D'Amico Ryans, that I'm guessing they're going to have at least three primetime games next year, maybe four, and they might play in one of those games in, uh, in Europe against Minnesota because Minnesota is one of the teams, and, and they play the NFC North or Jacksonville. And, uh, boy, can you imagine trying to sell the Panthers over there? But I think Stroud is off to the best start I've seen of a rookie quarterback. I covered uh, John Elway. He was terrible right away. Dan Marino didn't even start right away. And Peyton Manning threw 28 interceptions as a rookie. And we're just talking about this one season. Andrew Luck was great. Justin Herbert was great. But if Stroud hadn't had the concussion and he'd averaged the yards that he's averaged, he would have had the most yards in history. He would have finished about 4,700, which I think would have been second in team history. And even though they've got time, games to go, I'm so excited about what next season brings when they add to the offense, they add to the roster, and even have the experience and the coaching he's been getting next year. He may just take off and become one of the top three or four in the league. He's gotten some help, John, from Nico Collins uh, going into his third year. There was a lot of noise around Nico going in uh, to the season. I thought was interesting. Uh, you know, he's he's injured a lot. He's not a number one. He maybe maxes out as number two. I don't think he can do this. The only, you know, he only had his highs were like six catches for seventy yards and. All of a sudden, Nico Collins has turned into a bona fide number one superstar. How much has Nico Collins' emergence helped this offense? Well, the best we saw of Nico was in training camp the last two years. He'd make some big plays in his size, 6'4", 215. Now he's up to 220 because he hit the weight so hard. And it shows when he's bouncing off people, running over people, and getting the yak. 
He's as good as there is in the NFL right now for yards after the catch. And the cash register is ringing. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Some people think that Nick Casario won't sign him to an extension. Well, how foolish would that be to let his contract expire next year and him become an unrestricted free agent? Well, okay, you could tag him, but you know what? There might be somebody else they need to tag. I'll guarantee you Casario is going to sign Nico Collins to an extension after this season because he's earned it. And Casario likes to, who's done an outstanding job. Not for football talk today, have DaCosta as the executive of the year which I thought was preposterous to have any had Casario mm-hmm. second, just like D'Amico second, by the way, while I'm ranting sports illustrated had nine uh, voters in on their postseason awards. And when it came to coach of the year, Stefanski and D'Amico had four first four seconds, Stefanski had a third and somebody who has a job at sports illustrated covering the NFL put D'Amico fifth and the best coaching job what? this season. So Stefanski won it by a hair over D'Amico. That's what I like to say. Whoever voted him fifth, they ought to have to disclose those votes. Must have been somebody from Georgia, LSU or something. And uh, so, or a Cowboys fan. And so I think that uh, Nico has been incredible. The fact that he, once Tank Dell went down, and Noah Brown's been hurt so much. He doesn't have a legitimate two opposite him. And just like you know, the Texans will do everything to contain Amari Cooper. The Browns will do everything to contain Nico Collins, and others will have to step up. You know, maybe it was one of those AI bots voting. No, the AI is too <laughs> smart to vote for D'Amico fifth. I think they would have D'Amico first if they're truly intelligent. I know the Terminator. Not Will Anderson, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the character anyway, would have voted D'Amico first. So there's that. General, before we – we'll get back to the game in a moment. But before we go anywhere, this has been a bizarre week. Have you ever seen anything like this with Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, and then throw in Mike Vrabel, who's really significant to the Texans situation being in the division. But this is unbelievable what occurred this week. It's been an unprecedented week, starting with the championship game at NRG Stadium where Michigan won in Houston, and the, everybody put on such a great show, such positive reviews about the job done by the city, the county, everybody. So Harbaugh wins. Then is Harbaugh coming to the NFL? Then all of a sudden, they start the regular firings. Not a lot of surprises, but Mike Vrabel gets fired, which was stunning and good for the Texans unless they are Bobby Slowick, who is their number one candidate. Mm. But that's mm-hmm. a story mm-hmm. for another day. And uh, and so then the thing, it was, it was Belichick didn't surprise me. We've all known there's a good chance he's going to be gone. But it's still, once it was finalized, it's such a big story. And Dan Shaughnessy, the great columnist for the uh, Boston Globe, said there's no such thing as a mutual party of the ways he was fired. He would have been back if Kraft had given him that opportunity. Now everybody's saying Gerard Mayo will be elevated to take his place, not hiring Mike Vrabel. Don't know if Vrabel would want to go there anyway. And then I was doing a talk show in Tuscaloosa with a longtime host there, Ryan Fowler, who loves to ask me about the Alabama people for the Texans. And so while I'm giving him an answer about D'Amico and how Christian Harris and Will Anderson Jr. are playing, I stop and I'm waiting for him to ask me another question, and he doesn't. This is yesterday afternoon. And finally, I thought I'd lost a connection. I was about to say something. He goes, um, 
um, hey, John, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reading something. I have to make sure I read it right. So when I say it, I'll say it right. Nick Saban has resigned. And I said, Ryan, go to work, just do your job. And I hung up. That's General, how I learned Saban was out. So the one that maybe you didn't bring up, General, let's hit on, and that's Pete Carroll up in Seattle. Was that a shock? It felt like that one. Like, there have been rumblings about Belichick, and I had actually heard some rumblings after the Rose Bowl about Nick Saban that, uh, you know, keep, keep an eye on this. Carroll, even though he's 72, I didn't see that one coming. Your thoughts about Pete Carroll, and then is it really a fait accompli that it's Dan Quinn? I had no inkling anything about Nick Saban going to resign. And they say he's resigning because he doesn't like the state of college football with NILs and uh, the transfer portal. And I don't blame him. It's a much better time to be a head coach in the NFL than college football for those reasons. When you have free agents every year, your quarterback comes in and says, okay, I want this. If you don't give it to me, I'm going so and so this place because they're offering it to me. And it's like you're co- coaching them all on one-year deals. And, and you know, usually and Pete Carroll was a shocker. And they're always competitive, and uh, he's. They have been rebuilding kind of on the run, with all those picks they got for uh, Russell Wilson. They're loaded on offense. Good offensive line, great receivers, good running backs. They need a quarterback besides Geno Smith, and they need to work on their defense. And the owner Jody Allen, Paul Allen's sister, she doesn't mess with the football team. And so it's supposed to be sold at some point, but not anytime soon because she's given away all his other billions and billions. And so I think that is a great job. People immediately talking about Dan Quinn, although you usually go from defensive coordinator to offensive coordinator, but Quinn would be very popular up there since he had so much success before he went to Atlanta. And uh, I was, Pete Carroll said he wants to keep coaching and he is full of energy yeah, he doesn't look 72. He's got all his hair. He's thin. He looks good. He bounds, has endless energy. And you don't have many coaches out there who've won national championship in college in a Super Bowl. Do you take a guy like that, or do you take a guy who's never been a head coach who's a coordinator? All right. I am getting Gordon Gecko greedy here. So I want to know what's going to happen with Miami against Kansas City and Pittsburgh at Buffalo, and this is for both of you. Who's got the better shot to win this weekend? They're both underdogs. I don't even know what the lines are. I don't look at those things much. Miami at Kansas City, can they somehow rally and get the victory at Arrowhead in sub whatever the temperature is, or Pittsburgh playing Buffalo in Cleveland? Whatever they're going to do about that severe weather situation. Who's got the edge here, or the what's the more likely upset? General, you go first. Miami is going to be miserable. The Dolphins, two has never won a game when it was below 45. But the Chiefs are going to be miserable. Everybody's going to be miserable when the game starts at minus two. So it's going to be about turnovers, running the ball. Raheem Monster is supposed to be practicing this week. He might be back, which would really help their running game. You know, Tyreek Hill played in Kansas City. He knows how bad it can get, but it doesn't mean he's not going to be miserable. Everybody's going to be miserable, So I and they're going to be miserable in Buffalo, but I think the Dolphins have a better chance to beat the Chiefs, who have not played well, than the Bills are not going to get upset at home by a T.J. Watt-less Steelers defense. 
Yeah, hopefully Miami will wear those all-white jerseys. They'll get lost in the snow if there is any. (laughs) (laughs) Can't see them when they run by you. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, maybe it'll uh, maybe it'll go that way. Over the NFC, John, it I don't feel like it's got as many stories over there. I mean, obviously Texans, Browns. We know about the trade a couple of years ago, and uh, the Chiefs and the Dolphins. You got Tyreek Hill uh, with the Steelers and Buffalo. You've got uh, you know two grimy, gritty Lake Erie type teams. Over the NFC, it feels like the one story is Matt Stafford going back to Detroit. Uh, to take on the Detroit Lions. Your thoughts about what's going on in the NFC with Packers, Cowboys, Eagles, and Bucks on Monday night, and then also the Rams and the Lions with that big game of Stafford going back home, so to speak. People are talking about Stafford. Nobody's talking about Jared Goff. He played for the Rams. They couldn't wait to get rid of him after the offense bombed out in the Super Bowl loss to New England. Jared Goff's got a lot. You know he wants to stick it where the sun doesn't shine with Sean McVay. And uh, so those two, the, the, that's, the most, uh, that's the most expensive ticket. You'd think it'd be the Cowboys and the Packers. When I think of the Cowboys and Packers, it's because I'm old. I think about the Ice Bowl, great games they've had through the decades. One of the most interesting experiences I had, Lambeau Field in the playoffs, being on the sideline at the end of the game, ready to go into the locker rooms. Packers are comfortably up and behind me, sellout crowd at Lambeau. Some fans start to ch- to sing, Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Next thing you know, every fan is singing that song, and the cowboys are looking over their shoulders, and it's weird. You're in Green Bay, and they all knew the words. One of the coolest experiences I've had out of the millions of experiences I've had covering the NFL for 47 years. And then there's the one, Philadelphia, one in five, could Nick Sirianni be fired if he loses to the Bucks? Could Todd Bowles be fired if they lose a home playoff game? I do not believe that the firings are over. Now, I don't buy into Jerry Jones firing Mike McCarthy if they get beat by the Packers. I don't think they will. I don't see Jerry's never been a coach with a quick, I mean, an owner with a quick trigger. And uh, McCarthy's only coach. Cowboys have ever had won at least 12 in his first three seasons. So uh, if the Cowboys were to lose and the Eagles were to lose, that's two coaches. Their seat would be so hot next season they couldn't sit. General, your thoughts on this. The locker room celebration after the victory over the Colts for the Texans, and we've all seen it by now, and if you haven't, it's on HoustonTexans.com. you got to search for it a bit, but it's right there on the website and the app, and it's amazing to me. And I didn't fully realize, because I'm up in the booth, and Johnny knew this from the get-go, that they were all waiting in the locker room because D'Amico was in the hallway. We all saw that shot of him reflecting just for a moment. It was amazing. And then CJ joins him, and they go to the locker room, and the place explodes. And I thought, this is one of the best locker room celebrations I've ever seen, period, to see the coach with the players like that in such a joyful moment. And I thought that, along with everything else, of course, but that's a great snapshot, if you will, snapshot video of the culture, of what it's like to play for D'Amico Ryans. And I got to think it's a great free agent commercial for whatever's going to happen when the league year officially begins in March. I don't want to get ahead of the playoff game at all, but I wanted to bring this up because the Texans have a lot of guys who are slated to be free agents. You'd love to retain so many of them, but other players that you can attract. What do you think of that, the attraction factor of the Houston Texans? I know free agency is all about money, really, but there's extra, there's other stuff, and the Texans have a lot of that good other stuff. 
Did the Texans being awful, pathetic the last three years keep them from signing free agents? No. If you pay, that's where they're going to go. They're not going to say, I'm going to take $2 million less to play for D'Amico Ryans. That's not how the NFL works. I wrote a column this week using that experience, and I've seen that 50 times. That's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I tell you, it gives me goosebumps. I watch after victories, every one of those things you guys put up, because that's seeing something we don't see in the media. And I use that celebration as an example of how the McNairs and Casario run this team. You had to strain to see Cal and Hannah in the background. You didn't see Nick at all. You know, do you think if, if the Cowboys win a game like that, Jerry Jones is going to be in the background? Of course not. And that's the way they run the franchise. McNair stay in the background, give them the money, want to know what's going on, but don't interfere. Casario works closely with D'Amico, but they know it's about the coaches and players. And uh, so I also have a column up on SportsRadio610.com about uh, the Texans would love for C.J. Stroud to have the kind of rookie playoff that Joe Flacco had in 2008 when C.J. was seven. And Flacco had won two playoff <laughs> games as a rookie and lost saves to the championship game at Pittsburgh. And it's and then C.J. was 12 when Flacco and the Ravens won the Super Bowl. So uh, there's so many cool yeah. things, but I love that video, and I hope you have a chance to have your um, social media department put up another one after this game against the Browns. General, I've always loved to pick your brain about the history of the game. What's your favorite playoff mm. memory? Whoa. Oh, my good one. Well, the worst one will always be Buffalo. Nothing else, nothing else sure. needs to be said. In 1979, the Oilers played at San Diego Air Coriel. They were 18-point underdogs because Dan Pastorini, quarterback, running back Earl Campbell, wide receiver Kenny Burrow, their top three players were out. Their backup running back, Rob Carpenter, was hurt. They shot him up with so much stuff. He was crawling back to the huddle, didn't know what planet he was on. And they, they upset the heavily favored Chargers to get another trip back to Three Rivers Stadium, try to go to the Super Bowl. So in Houston, those are the two. Uh, the uh, those are the two that stand out to me as far as the Texans. Uh, JJ's interception return to beat the uh, Bengals because it just came out of nowhere that JJ phenomenon was born in that game. We know had no idea he's going to be that great, and and uh, that was the the best one for positivity because I don't think of the other playoff victories. But the fact that was the first one, it was over the Red Rifle back in Houston, his, his hometown, Katie, actually. It just meant mm -hmm. so much to the McNairs, the franchise. But that's my favorite Texans uh, playoff memory. And if they ever, ever win a divisional playoff game, then that will become the number one memory because it's the first time in history it'll happen. And right now, everybody in Baltimore is getting ready for Flacco's homecoming. Everybody in Cleveland's getting ready for Flacco's homecoming in Baltimore. Yeah, and let's hope those plans are spoiled. One more for you, General. And by the way, the Dolphins should reference that Euler victory over the Chargers in 79, as banged up as they are, especially on defense, to try to help them beat the Chiefs, although they will not be playing in San Diego weather. No, the weather is, is a little bit better in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep, yeah, a little bit different. Okay, uh, Nick Casario earlier this week totally shot down, shot down the report from your favorite reporter, Jason La Nonconfirma. Uh, thoughts no, on that? No. And that's not the way you pronounce it. You need to be. Oh, accurate. what is it? It's Jason Nola okay. Confirma. But he wasn't the only one. A bunch of them have been saying that. This goes back to the draft. Everybody in New England thinks that anybody that was with the Patriots is dying to come back. And that's not a good operation right now. You know, who wants to replace the mm-hmm. legend? And so, Casario, yeah. how many GMs have it better than Nick? He's on the third year of his contract. He makes a fortune. He's going to get a bonus if they win the Super Bowl. And he's got total control of personnel. He works great with D'Amico, a great coach, a great staff, and owners who leave him alone. You could not have a better job than Nick Casario has right now based on everything he withstood here. You know, when he came here and, and watching it just made his trade demand, we all thought, yeah, he'll get over it. What Nick Casario I liken it to he came into a hurricane and he was able to come out on the other side unscathed. All right. Well, we look forward to reading all your stuff in SportsRadio610.com on SportsRadio610.com general and look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Guys, I look forward to seeing you too. It's going to be so much fun. So much fun. 3.30 kickoff on Saturday. The game is a sellout and it took – a lot of work for people to flip the building from the national championship. You had a couple of Texans games sandwiched with a bowl, and you, then you have the championship, and you have another Texans game, and you have all these tickets to distribute, and how does all that work? We'll get into some of that nitty-gritty with the president of the Texans, Greg Grissom. He is coming up next, along with a bunch of other stuff with Greg. It's going to be awesome. And then Houston Methodist Minutes. We'll also hear from Jonathan Grenard in the next half hour as he's back at practice, and that's very good. Nico Collins' appreciation segment in hour two. Johnny and I back to break down everything going on around the league and this game with the Cleveland Browns. It's all coming up here on Texans Radio. Stay tuned for more on the Houston Texans and the NFL on Texans All Access. Getting right back to it here on Texans Radio. Let's bring aboard the president of the Houston Texans, Greg Grissom, here in the Hyundai Texans Radio studio. And, Greg, great to have you with us. And I don't know about you, but I'm just so blown away. Here we are. The Texans are AFC South champions back in the playoffs. And can you reflect a little bit? I've been asking people to reflect because I think it's worth reflecting before we really dig in to this playoff game with the Cleveland Browns Saturday at 3.30. What an amazing season to be here at this point. Well, congratulations to both of you, AFC South champions uh, in the playoffs again. Uh, And, yeah, we all believe. Mm -hmm. Um, But to see it actually happen and with D'Amico and the team and the work that Nick and his team have all put together uh, and just the excitement that's in the city of Houston, it's it's amazing. And we're really, really excited about it and excited about Saturday. Greg, from 7.14 p.m. Central Time Saturday night through right now, where we don't even know if we're in the playoffs, three hours later – we're in the playoffs, but we don't know what we're playing or who we're playing. To Sunday afternoon about 3 o'clock, okay, we've won a division. Oh, boy, we got a home playoff game. Your level of stress from 1 to 10, what's it been? Well, I wouldn't say stress, uh, though. Uh, how about excitement? There you go. The, the there excitement, you go. Uh, opportunity, uh, challenge. Um, 
But it's been a great ride, and and we have such an amazing team around us doing amazing work um, at all different levels of the organization. So watching that all happen over the last yep. four or five days um, has been really gratifying, and and just a real credit to to all our teammates that 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 are making all that happen, or kind of riding that those 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 roller coasters with us, yeah, um, right. and and to ultimately, uh, you know, the opportunities to put on a, a great show for our fans uh, on Saturday afternoon and, and create the home field advantage that, that we know our players need and want to, to go out and beat the Browns. By the way, with D'Amico Ryan's vernacular, we say op instead of opportunity. Yeah, that's now. right. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got a great op. We yeah, got a great, great op. op. That's what the young kids say yeah, now. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's talk about tickets here for a moment because in the digital age, all of a sudden, hey, there's an extra game. Everybody needs their tickets. So take us behind the scenes. How does all that work in such a short amount of time? Well, first and foremost, I'm excited to say we announced earlier today the game sold out. Ooh. And um, but there, you can, you know, in in this day and age, you can always get tickets. It's on the secondary market by right. visiting NFL Ticket Exchange um, um, through Ticketmaster. Um, but really, it's a huge team effort. Uh, you know, our, our ticket membership services group, communicating with our season ticket members, uh, our ticket sales group and all that they do, our digital marketing teams, uh, our social teams, you guys, uh, the media, everybody, just making sure everybody understands what's available. Our business analytics team has a tremendous role, our accounting team. So a huge team effort to uh, to get us to a place where we're sold out and, and excited to have a great crowd. I, I'm just, I mean, having been in the building for COVID games and there's, you know, I don't know, 10,000 people in there. Uh, then the challenge of the last couple of years and then to see the crowds each and every week grow and grow and grow as this team was growing and growing and growing is just incredible. So I'll ask you this, Greg, you're as much a fan as you are the president of the Texans. Do you have a favorite moment, whether it was here or some other place? Do you have a favorite moment of this season? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. If I had to say my favorite moment of this, uh, maybe can I, I always want two. Yeah, um, you can have two. I want two. I want uh I want the throw from CJ to Tank mm. in the in the Buccaneers game, not the touchdown, the one before. before it, yep. Mm. Uh, you know the the deep out that mm -hmm. that um, really set up the touchdown. Yep. That throw was amazing, and to that basically put you in a position with that time on the clock to win the game. Yep. And just amazing and magical, and the stadium was going nuts. And then probably the other one is is the Cincinnati drive oh, uh, yeah. to 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 win the game to be. Because that was a pretty hostile environment that day. You know, yes. the fans were oh, yeah. into it. You know, they're still in the playoff hunt. Joe Burrow's still there. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's a, it was a, and they were they were ready to go that day. Mm -hmm. And you know, with kind of the way the end of that game happened, with you know the interception late, we thought you know, but the the resilience. And I know D'Amico talks about this all the time. The resilience of this team, and what we saw there to come back, win the game, Kaimi out the whole thing, and uh, uh, to to win that game and to. To hear the crowd be very quiet mm -hmm. at the end is always a fun fun place when you're on the road. And it's been quite the year because it was almost a year ago that D'Amico Ryans was hired. And thinking of all the things it led into and the incredible draft night and the incredible training camp and the incredible season, can you reflect on that a little bit for us? Well, it's 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 been a magical run, and I and I know this has been said in different ways, but it, this it's it, yes, D'Amico and what he's brought to the table this year has been imperative um mm -hmm. but i really go back further than that i go back to the cal and hannah and, and mrs mcnair and the leadership you know mm -hmm. over the last couple of years to put us in a position nick and his team and what how they've built the team what we've built on the business side and kind of evolved i think um all those things put together you're kind of seeing all 
pay off uh, mm-hmm. right now, and uh, we got a lot of more work to do. The work never stops, and you know, we we want to continue to focus on that. But just in reflecting, I think it's it's really the McNair's leadership, their support of what what they provide our entire organization at every level to to allow all that to happen for us to have moments like we're having now. Greg, I know everybody gets to see CJ and Nico and the guys on the field and the coaches and get to see them, but. When I think about this team, I think about what we started on Christmas Eve and what hopefully is not the last home game. But when I think about Christmas Eve against the Browns, New Year's Eve against the Titans. Oh, I missed the Texas Bowl in there. Texas Bowl on three days after we played the Browns, then the Ooh. Titans. Then obviously we got the Colts game. We got the national championship going on here. And now we're playing a game on Saturday. How proud are you of your people, the fact that they're able to pull it off? And if you walk in the stadium, you would never know. Like, if this is your first time walking in the stadium, you would never know all that had taken place. But you know that your people have pulled all of that well, off this yeah, year. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're our, our teammates and just everything that they've done. And, and we have a lot of partners, right? Our partners here at NRG Park, uh, partners at Aramark, our partners that, that support all of those entities. So it is a huge team effort um, to make it happen it will very well you know, thought out and planned. Um, but to see it all unfold, like you said, it, I mean, it's invigorating. It's inspiring just to watch the passion and energy that all these folks who really care about their role that they play on the team and, and then, and then how it can all come together. I, you know, I was talking to our field crew the other day, who's painting the field. I mean, they've, they've painted the field like seven times <laughs> right. in the last, you know, right. four or five weeks, but never a complaint, yeah. always excited, what can we do next? And and that energy and what what's kind of being again developed holistically here is showing up and paying off in moments like this. And taking it into the coming year, because we don't want to look ahead, but we're going to look ahead because Johnny and I get asked weekly, and I know you do too, about uniforms. Yeah. What's oh that going to be like? When? How? What can you tell us as of now, Greg? Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat what we've said is I think the unit, we're, we're very excited. It's going to be a, a great thing to unveil and kind of evolve ourselves forward um, from how we present ourselves uh, from the uniform brand, et cetera. I think there's uh, something for everyone. Um, you know, there's a lot of different opinions and voices. And, you know, I think uh, we've shared that there's not necessarily, you know, kind of a one size fits all approach to this. So I think you'll continue to see that. And when, I mean, I think we're, we're looking, you know, just ahead of the draft, the exact details, we're still finalizing those things as we speak, but, you know, sometime in mid April ahead of the draft, uh, maybe draft week, maybe before, but somewhere in that neighborhood to unveil it and really to, to uh, have all our fans have an opportunity to enjoy it and, and, you know, start repping the new gear. Greg, for fans that haven't had a chance to kind of see, I know obviously we put on a show every single time that we uh, have, a, have a home game here, but for a playoff game, what do we have that's uh, special that fans can look well, forward to? Well, it uh, starts with uh, um, we've got, you know, we want everybody in here early. And when I say mm. early, the game's at 3.30. Just right. in, uh, you know, our fans, for whatever reason, have a, uh, you know, they like to either tailgate, right. come a little later. <laughs> right. We need to change that. And I can yeah. tell you um, – organizationally this offseason that's something we're going to really focus on is how do we create an environment that that, that that's different um but for sun or for saturday um uh, we I, I would just think about this way we want everybody in the stadium an hour early so 2 30 so mm-hmm. shut down the tailgate mm. you know if you're coming from out don't plan to be in the parking lot at 2 30 be in the parking lot at two so you can be in the stadium at 2 30 so Everybody needs to move up their time clock so that when the players are out for warm-ups before introductions, mm-hmm. they can feel the energy because Ooh. I know they talk about it. And when in- intros hits, which are usually about 15 minutes before the game, the place is juiced. 
And so our fans need to understand that timeline and adjust themselves accordingly. So um, if I can say it once, I'll say it a thousand times. Be early, and that means be in the stadium an hour before, in your seats 30 minutes before. So let me just – can yes. I say that again? Yes. I want to say it again. Stress That's it. why I brought it up. Yeah. Say so, it. So, Preach. Um, and, and Houston needs to embrace that. When you go yeah. to a lot of other stadiums, I'm sure in Indy, when mm-hmm. you're up there, and yes. what are they? What does Pat McAfee call it? Lot House Lodd or whatever. House. Whatever. Yeah. We, we walked away it's with the W, so it doesn't, doesn't matter. But um, – that they were there early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, they were there. And, and they showed so up. we Houston needs to show up. Our fans need to show up and be here early. Um, but that we'll have fifty thousand rally towels to get them going and get them into Ooh. into the building. Uh, we'll have um, you know Brian Cushing repping H Town. Absolutely, great great lineup at halftime. And they're really just trying to create a, a home field advantage. The mariachi the game. band the is going to be making the rounds. Back, you've got. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love um, the mariachi yeah. band yeah, beginnings. I've said good. this. I've said this to the guys, Greg. I said if we make the playoffs, the mariachi band opening is going to go viral. Yeah, like more people will see it nationally and be like, "Hey, oh, y'all seen this?" Well, that's why I want everybody in their seats early because our <laughs> pregame show is really, really good. Yeah, and yeah. it's great. different. Um, but then, uh, you know, Brian Cushing repping H-Town, firing the cannon, national anthems, uh, young and up-and-country uh, country artist Randall King. Uh, right. DJ Vanilla Trill will be yep. doing his thing. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. halftime, Bun B, Slim Thug, Mike Jones, Paul Wall, the Mexican OT, you know, and a few more. So it, right. it, it's going to be a show. But be early. Yeah. Be ready. Go get that beer. Go get that popcorn, whatever it may be. Let, let, let's make the make the energy happen it's from the very Saturday beginning. It's a Saturday afternoon. Yes. You don't have church. You don't have anything. It's no excuses. Sleep in and still be early. Sleep in and still be early. Speaking yes. of which, people ask us what our pregame routine is all the time. Mm-hmm. So what's the pregame routine of President Greg Grissom? Uh, so, uh, well, I usually get to the stadium, you know, five or six hours Ooh. early, um, you know, for like a noon game. I'm here 7, 7.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my way in, I actually I, I drive the entire uh, park um, okay. and look at our parking setup. I have a tradition that I text the folks who lead that force and say, you know, 99% of the time, everything looks good. There might be a, hey, we want to tweak this or tweak mm-hmm. that type thing. But I just like to see uh, the parking setup. Why I really do it is I love just seeing all the tailgaters lined up. It just is yeah. a great way to start the day um, and just to see the energy that they're going to bring. And then get to the office and kind of enjoy uh, a little quiet time and mm-hmm. kind of get my head right. And then really it's about you know going around and just – saying hello to people, yeah. trying to tell as many of the people who work here to make game day happen, thank you for what they do. And then, you know, come game time, it's uh, it's it's lock in with the rest of our fans and enjoy it. And, you know, got to talk to a few people here and there, but, but try to celebrate the victory with everyone else. Okay. Every single game, a lot of people don't know this, every single game you and I kind of find each other at some point yep. and you're like, okay, give me a key, give me something to watch. And I know I can tell you some down deep things because I know you understand the game. So let's talk the game, the Browns, the Texans. We know how I went the first time. In your mind, what's the biggest key? What do the Texans have to be able to do to get a win? Oh, well, I, I, and just to be clear, I'm a, I'm a my last <laughs> you, thing I am, listen. I'm not a football, uh, uh, you know, savant like you, but, uh, but I, I know I've, you I've watched a lot of football. I've, yes. I've watched a lot of football. I understand the game, but. You know, I um, I what I'm excited to see. Maybe I'll say it this way: is how we can affect Flacco in a different way than what we could um, last week. And he, he had a great game, um, and um, you know, we had some guys that weren't in the game, and so I think hope, hope we'll see how that all shakes out. But but uh, 
you know, if he can be affected, he's proven that when he when he has time, he's he can. Oh he can, yeah, he's he's, he's elite. A, he's a very good player. So, and I think he's playing with the right mindset right now. Right. He, you know, he he's he's not he's got everything to gain and nothing to lose, and so mm. that's always interesting. So. Uh, that would be something I'd be watching is how how, yep. how can we affect him. And Brian Cushing's perfect for Rep at H-Town because he had the bloody face oh, against yeah. Cleveland. Well, yeah, so yeah, go check out. Yeah. There's a little teaser on social, and then, uh, you know, there'll be a – he's there's a really cool video that our digital team's putting together that, that uh, will kind of put all that together and, mm -hmm. and create some intensity leading into Saturday. Nice. Greg, thanks a lot. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Go Texans. There he is, president of your Texans, Greg Grissom. Coming up, you want to talk about a shot in the arm – Jonathan Grenard is back, and Drew Doherty's got him next. Also, Houston Methodist Minutes. Also, the next hour, Johnny and I will weigh in on some of the earlier topics, coaching changes, things like that. More on the playoff game Saturday, 3.30, NRG Stadium. As Greg said, get there early. And a Nico Collins appreciation segment in hour number two. Plus, you're going to hear from Browns coach Kevin Stefanski. We're loaded on Texans Radio. Great to have you listening to Texans Radio. I can't wait for this one because I go out to practice sometimes and I look for numbers of guys, jersey numbers, of guys who might have been out for a while or whatever. Are they coming back? Are they not coming back? Sometimes they're limited. Sometimes they're just rehabbing. But to see 52 out there was such a breath of fresh air. You know you need them back. You want them back. 12 and a half sacks in the regular season. Here we go with the postseason, and Drew Doherty visits with J.G. It's always nice to see defensive end Jonathan Grenard, but it's a little bit nicer today. How are you feeling, John? feel pretty good. Excited to be back out there. Excited to get a chance to play first playoff game and decide to do some good things in the stadium, for sure. Yeah, first playoff game's a big deal. How sweet is that for you? You've been through some tough times here. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see where the Oregon's gone and come from and know we can still take this thing, obviously, with, with the talent that we have. But I'm excited to see what we do, man. I, I'm excited to see us play big-time ball. Um, we already had a kind of first taste of playoff ball last week, obviously, with the Colts. Um, we came out with a dub, but I think we're just going to – it's a rematch. And like I, I think Domingo said it earlier during the week is you don't get so many rematches, especially against these teams in the playoffs. So I think we're excited. We understood what they did last time, and we would definitely try to change that result for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is the last team you played yeah. against. I mean, and you only got a, a few snaps yeah, in. Yeah. How sweet is it going to be in that regard to be back on the field and against these guys? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to just be in the moment, man. Ultimately, I may have hyped it up in my mind maybe too much, you know. I just, just treat it like it's another game, honestly, in my mind. So I'm just excited to be able to go out there. I'm not necessarily redeem myself, but just really go finish off where I started. So just really, really excited. What's the challenge Joe Flacco presents for you? Uh, as a vet who's been in these type of games, and as we know, he can make a lot of plays with his arm. And you never know. Like, as we seen the last time we played him, no one expected him to be throwing a ball from his knees or nobody expected him to be making the throws that he did. But we also understand it could be done with a, quarter, a caliber of quarterback as he is. So much respect to him, but he's definitely going to go into that mode that he's been once before back in Baltimore days. So it's exciting. It's exciting. I definitely want to make him uncomfortable better this time so that way we can get, get what we want. Yeah, as a group, entering that game, even with you in the lineup, it was a different Texans bunch. You're back. C.J. Stroud's back. A lot of guys are back. What's the different mindset you guys have collectively? Well, now, obviously, and the mindset's kind of been there, but it's definitely win or go home for sure. And it's just one of those mindsets and the mentality where the energy here has not even been, like, uptight or anything. Everybody's kind of treating it as, like, it's another game and understanding what's at stake here. And um, we're just not going to make it bigger than what it is and just play our brand of ball and uh, hopefully come up with the result we want. Last thing for me, you bring up energy. The energy in the crowd probably going to be pretty high. It's been announced as a sellout. Oh, really? So what's that mean to you? I didn't know that. Yeah, first time. That'll be my first time seeing this thing sold out. I'm just excited. It kind of is going to be like a college football atmosphere a little bit being Saturday game. But I'm excited to see what happens, man. I'm excited to see the fans come out, support us, continue to go out there and just dominate and do what the city deserves. Excited to see you back, Jonathan. Thanks a lot. Glad Best of back. luck. Glad to be back, man. Appreciate you. 
Jonathan Grenard with Drew Doherty today. How about that? Saturday, 3.30. Can't wait. I can wait for the cold weather to hit because that's going to be a couple of days later or within a couple of days after the playoff game. And temperature is going to drop below, what, 32 at night significantly. And I only bring this up because Houston Methodist Minutes, we do this. What about finding out about mind and body prep for the cold? A couple of minutes on this from Houston Methodist Minutes with Dr. Alicia Robichaud. Doctor, how's it going? It is going great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, we are getting ready for a playoff game, but as they say in Game of Thrones, winter is coming. Freezing temperatures arriving. A lot of people are alarmed about this. People are talking about how to prepare their houses and everything, but what about preparing their bodies and minds for this sort of thing? With it being so cold, are you more susceptible to colds and viruses? A lot of people think you are as it gets colder, or is it really about What's contagious? Who's contagious? What you're exposed to? Which is more important? I think it's a little bit of both. The honest truth is that all of the contagious viruses are in high spread right now. COVID and flu and rhinovirus and RSV. You hear about these to get your, your vaccine for them because they are very rampant in the community. People will start wearing masks more. But the other thing is that when we stay inside rather than being outside, all of those viruses are now harbored inside and with the air conditioning and they can spread. So get your vaccines if that's important for you, or if you're at the right age. But the reality is that if you keep in contact with people who often get sick, you just might get sick. Another one for you about being inside a lot, seasonal affective disorder. You've brought this up before in a different topic, but is that a real thing in Houston now that it's getting so cold and people will be inside more? What should they watch out for? It's not so prominent here in Houston, mostly because we don't have that gray, dull, dreary sky. We still have a lot of sunshine, even with the cold weather. So enjoy the sunshine. Be outside. Make sure you open your windows. Try not to just hover inside when it's cold for days and days at a time. Get your sleep. Try not to sleep in the middle of the day. And that usually prevents us feeling more gloomy and doomy when the weather gets cold like this. Doctor, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Absolutely. There's Dr. Alicia Robichaud from Houston Methodist. A little mind-body prep for when the temperatures drop below 32 degrees a couple of days or within a couple of days after the Texans take on the Cleveland Browns. With a win, we'll be a lot warmer. It's Houston Methodist, the official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist leading medicine. Coming up, Johnny and I, more on the game, more on the coaching changes around the league. What happened with Mike Vrabel? Also, a Nico Collins appreciation segment, and you'll hear from Kevin Stefanski, head coach of the Browns. It's all coming up here on Texans Radio. Here we go, Texans Radio. We roll on and get ready for the playoff game on Saturday, the first of several. Let's just see how that statement goes. Freezing cold takes? I think not. <laughs> All right, we'll find out. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Johnny, how are you feeling? Good. You know, it's interesting not having a playoff game since 20, January 2020. You know, we haven't had a we haven't had a playoff game post COVID, but I feel like Saturday was a really good run through. Yeah, yeah, it felt very much playoff game like. Atmosphere was incredible, and you kind of went through the playoff process basically because it was win in advance, lose and you know come back home. This and, feels very different in that it's at home, but otherwise it feels similar. Yeah, because I've considered last week like the playoffs yep. where it was on a calendar. We had never been in January before. We talked about that with the week seventeen thing. Right. So it just felt like such a playoff game. Yeah, and I think that was uh, 
it was great experience for the team to have gone through, and it was obviously a great experience for us to go through, especially not having called you know, a playoff game since that one in Kansas City, which we'd like to all forget in some sense. Um, but it was, it was tremendous. And I always said with, you know, a playoff game in particular, just give me my guys. Just give me, just give me the guys and let's go see where we are. And, you know, obviously there's still in the large number of guys questionable for this game, but hopefully you're going to get a decent portion of them. So you're going to feel like you're walking into that fight with, you know, both fists up as opposed to it felt like last time you're like, man, it felt like one hand was tied behind our back and we were doing the best we could with it. So I just want to go into big games with all you got. Yeah. Everything you got. Um, I think about that 2018 game against the Colts and you know, we started to get back in a little bit and then hop got hurt. I'm like, okay, we're, we're toast at Cups. that point. Um, and so you just want to be, you know, 2015, you know, JJ went out in the third quarter. Um, with an injury that obviously knocked him down the next year. So you just want to be as healthy as possible and just have your best ready to go, and they play at their best. And it felt like Saturday night, even though we were without some key guys, it felt like the guys were at their best. And now it's going to have to do that with hopefully some more additions to the mix against a really good football team um, that I said, you know, I said this the, on Texas Monday, not Texas Monday, it was Tuesday when we talked about it. It's the best football team that I saw all year. Mm. live the, the browns were that. incredible they were yeah. really really good that day and they flummoxed us and they got after us and you know you got to make some adjustments you got to make some changes and that's the one thing mark i always find interesting is when you play a team a second time the team that has won i think about our jacksonville games this year you know, we went to jacksonville they're thinking about london we walk in there just put it on them absolutely put it on them when they came here for the second game you obviously don't want to get away from what you did well in that game, but they've got to make the adjustments because they lost. So as the winning team, you're kind of like, well, you know, we did this and we're going to you know, do it again because you'd be kind of dumb if it worked and then you got away from it, right? I'm curious how the Browns will react once we make some adjustments to them. Like, okay, what's their yeah. adjustment to our adjustment? And then the adjustment game kind of goes on. I'm really curious how that kind of goes, um, but I just feel better that we've got – the majority seemingly of our of our squad going on on Saturday and that's gonna be good well when you talk about the second time playing a team because this is the what fourth time it's going to happen this year right yep. because of mm -hmm. your division opponents right well when you look at the Jags as bad as everything felt and went against the Jaguars at home in the second meeting there you are with in basketball you'd say the ball on the rim right right, right. you had the football <laughs> on the crossbar and you were that close to tying the game with everything that went wrong that day, yep. you did not play well, but you had a chance to tie, extend things, and who knows what happens at that point, but it was what it was. Okay. Now, against the Titans second time, very nice. Against the Colts the second time, very nice. Now it's Cleveland the second time. We'll see how it goes. Fill in the blank here. We'll fill it out on Saturday afternoon. A couple of other things I wanted to get to with you because we talked about this with the general earlier. But I'm still blown away about this week and all these coaches retiring mm -hmm. yeah. or saying goodbye to their franchises, at least their positions, in the case of Pete Carroll. And there's so many different angles to this. I saw one tweet that said they should all get together on the same team and be the Expendables <sighs> coaching staff. 
You know, <laughs> that would be awesome. Do that. That would be. Didn't awesome. Bruce Arians kind of have that with Arizona? A, bit, a little Tom, bit. Was Tom Moore on that staff? Tom Moore was on that staff. They had a pass Jim rush. Jim Hannafin was Jim Hannafin on that staff? No, no, that's no. Jim Hannafin was uh, was earlier. Yeah, uh, but like Larry Zerline was on that staff. Um, he had he had a group of young coaches, but what he did was he he added in like three or four, probably sixty five year old plus coaches on that roster, and. Uh, I want to say his name is Tom Pratt, who is a pass rush specialist and had been around. I mean, he had seen some things. Mm -hmm. Tom Pratt had been around, but he had Tom Moore. I mean, he had a very interesting staff because I know for Larry, the offensive line coach, I want to say his name was Goodwin. And he was a younger guy, probably yeah. probably early 30s. And then here's Larry in his you know 60s you know, helping him, you know, as the offensive line assistant to be able to help him. And I just thought that was a really interesting way of putting a, a coaching staff together is to have younger position coaches, but yet your senior assistants that you've brought in have, have been around. They've seen a lot of stuff in the league, and I thought it was pretty interesting how they put that together. But <laughs> saving Carol Belichick, Vrabel. Yeah. Put them all on the same team. <laughs> Yeah, I was way <laughs> off with uh, Hannafin, by the way. I mean, he departed things 10 years earlier, yeah. but they did have some older guys yep, on that yep. staff. And you mentioned Larry Zerline as well. But here, as we look at what these guys are going to do, Bill Belichick, we don't know yet. Pete Carroll, going to stay with Seattle as a consultant type person, unless he gets another job offer, I would imagine. Yep. Nick Saban. Johnny, more impressive, what Bill Belichick did with the Patriots or what Nick Saban has done with his entire career? Belichick with the Patriots. And, uh, and I say that sort of quickly. I agree with you, by the way. I say that sort of quickly. I don't think there's any question, but go on. But in college football, there really are about 10 to 12 teams that can win a championship every single year. Mm -hmm. In the NFL, there's 32. Right. And if you're like, well, you know, there's teams that aren't going to be in there, like, did you think we were going to be in there? A lot of people yeah. out there listening. A lot yeah. of you were like, well, the Texans aren't going to play. I mean, you, but here we are. We got a yep. shot. We're in the yep. dance. So you have a chance in, in the NFL. And for Bill Belichick to have won six championships with a salary capped roster. That's it. Right to there. To me, that's and free agency where you can go from team to team to team. You can't keep the team together for a long period of time. Um, you know, the, the magic act in some sense of keeping Brady and, you know, having Brady, you know, take below market deals or whatever the case might be. I, you know, that's part of the part of the magic of Belichick. Whatever but, the case, I'll give you another way to look at it. In college football, you could win the national championship and you get the top recruit. You're in right. In the NFL, right, right, right. you Great win the point. championship. You're not getting the top recruit. The worst team is getting the top recruit, the yep. top draft pick. Mm -hmm. And you don't have any shot at that unless you trade a bazillion things to get it right. so it's very difficult the deck is stacked against you to continue your success you talked about it the other day when you mentioned the differences of the chiefs roster yeah, never yeah. mind the texans since yep. the 2020 season opener the chiefs since the 2020 season opener so different yet you still see mahomes and kelsey and it feels the same because andy reed is there it's so different yet they're still finding ways to win and be in the postseason absolutely and the way that player movement takes place in the nfl for belichick to have i'll say mastered it but to, i mean he got randy moss for a fourth round pick mm. And then Moss comes in. Now, they never won a championship with Moss, but obviously Moss had some tremendous years there. You know, he got Wes Welker off the waiver 
scrap heap, basically. Well, you know, Julian Edelman, he drafts and calls up and says, I don't know where we're going to play you, but we're going to draft you and figure it out. Yeah. And then Julian Edelman becomes one of the great slot receivers I mean, that, of all that time. That is a I mean, great spot. You could tell. You could say all you want about, oh, they lucked out with Brady in the sixth round, and there is a lot of luck to that. Mm-hmm. But they're the ones who picked him, so yep. give them credit there. Absolutely. They're the ones who picked Edelman and developed him. Give him some credit there. Yep. Edelman shined here in the 20, 2009 season finale when Welker went down yeah. with that knee injury. Edelman, we're thinking, this number 11 is torching the Texans today. Who is this dude? Well, he's a pretty good player. Yeah, so uh, to me, it's, it's Belichick, and I don't want to say it's not close, but when, and you bring up a great point. Like, how many times does Alabama have the number one recruiting class after they won a national championship? Sure. So they were always able to have those classes and just, you know, redo it one year after the next. Now, I will say there is a different type of leadership. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. But when you're coaching 18 to 22-year-old kids, basically, versus grown adults, the coaching acumen has to be a little bit different. And Nick was able to get 18 to 22 year old kids to do what he wanted them to do enough to win championships. So to me, there's feathers in the cap for both of them, but I don't think that you can ever compare a college to the NFL, especially at a high level program and say, well, yeah, this guy won a bunch at college. And I think Nick ended up with seven, six Alabama, one LSU. Well, that's one more than, than Belichick. Yeah. But Belichick was dealing with a cap league, free agency player, constant player movement, and still won six. Oh yeah. That wasn't happening in college football until now. Now, now we've gotten a little bit more of the NIL and the transfer portal, and you've gotten a, a bit of free agency to go on with college football. So let's see you in college football at this point win seven championships in how many ever years, but tip of the cap to Nick Saban for what he's done. I mean, well, it was incredible. There were some rumblings at the end of the year, like this might happen. It might. Um, but now that it's here, the fact that Saban, Carroll, Belichick, Vrabel, all within like 48 hours is mind-blowing. In all different circumstances. I think with Saban, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying Saban's terrible or right. anything. I just right. think Belichick's accomplishments – outweigh what Saban was able to do at Alabama, which was incredible. It was incredible what he did. In fact, I'll support him right here. Alabama, Johnny, this is not a hot take. It's not that great of a job. It's not. Let's be clear here. How many natties did they have between Bear Bryant and Nick Saban? One, right? Stallings. That's it. Stallings got one. Stallings got one. That's it. It's not like Alabama was forever this hotbed or whatever. C- recruiting? Talk to Georgia. A little bit better there. You're basically in suburban Atlanta, mm-hmm. and Georgia is a hotbed of high school talent. This. And it borders on Florida, last I checked. So Georgia has a much better situation as far as recruiting than Alabama. Now, the money is the money. I get it. And they have deep pockets, the alums. They want to keep that thing going. I also saw a great tweet. I forget who did this, so I'm not going to give it justice. But... Talking about the business effect, they called it the Flutie effect Mm -hmm. that Saban had on the university because the enrollment shot up, it skyrocketed, what it meant, extra students going there, out-of-state versus in-state tuition. The prices are higher to go for the out-of-state kids, and they flock in because, Mm -hmm. largely or in addition to whatever else they've got to offer, which includes academics, 
because those students pay higher prices. You're making more money. It helps the university even more. So the Saban effect, the Flutie effect, by the way, is Flutie drove up the Boston College admissions like crazy in the 80s when he won the Heisman Trophy. That's yep. why they call it that. So I give him a lot of credit for that. It's just a different animal. It's a different sport mm-hmm. when you compare college coaching and basketball, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. When you compare that with the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you brought up a great point. I love the Flutie effect. I love talking about that because you hear the, the, the academics say, well, you know, football drives everything, and then it's so powerful. Well, yeah, there are students coming to your, choosing to come to your university because, yeah, they want to get education, but they love football, and they love a football mm-hmm. environment, and it's, Alabama is, is out there all the time because – you hear them every single Saturday. You see them every single Saturday. You see the fans, and you're like, man, I'd like to be a part of that just as a yeah. fan. Just Then you go down there, and you visit. Like, man, this is the quintessential college, southern college town. Like, man, this is really cool. And they end up with with, with students from uh, – they've got a lot of students from Texas, from Houston. I know yeah. a number, of, oh, a number a of students that have come from Houston that have gone to the University of Alabama. And so, Auburn, too, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. And both idyllic campuses. I've not been to Alabama – but I've been to Auburn. Auburn's just—it's an incredibly gorgeous, just southern, idyllic campus. Beautiful uh, tree cover, and if you're there on a, just a gorgeous, beautiful day, you're like, "Wow, why would I ever leave a place like that's this?" That's gorgeous. So, you know yeah. what? I, you know what else? I've never been to Arkansas's campus, and I heard nah, that's gorgeous as well. It—it's gorgeous for a different, well, not different reason, but being up in the hills. Holy cow! Yeah. Holy cow! I've heard it's amazing, and I, it's I thought, really? Okay. I just right. did—I just did the windshield tour. Uh, we were up there playing a baseball tournament when I was in, in uh, high school. And so we were staying with our foster families up there. And so we were near Fayetteville. And we're like, hey, let's go take a look. I mean, we are up in the mountains. I mean, it, is, it was a really, it was a beautiful, beautiful just drive around the university. It was incredible. Some of the regrets I have of my college broadcasting days that I never got to do a game there. And also OU, never did mm-hmm. a game at OU. Did games at UT, did games at a and mm-hmm. did basketball games at both those places. Yep. But, you know, I was there on campus and experienced some things. So, anyway, let's get to this. Because with all the coaching stuff, this definitely applies to the Texans, who are in the postseason, all the other AFC South teams at home, whacking people. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville whacks its defensive staff. Tennessee whacks everybody. And we move on here because the Texans shocked the AFC South world. I know it's a four-team world, but they shocked everybody, including some people in Houston, that they were able to win the division. And by the way, I cannot stop staring at the graphic on the Texans app or wherever you've seen it on social media of D'Amico. And it says AFC South champions, and it has little illustrations of the players. And it's so good that they won the division. I'm still blown away. All right, back to now. Vrabel gone from Tennessee. This is seismic for the AFC South, obviously. When one team changes a coach, it affects everything. So I'm really curious to see who they end up with and what. The Athletic did an extensive story on the breakdown in communication, and we touched on this with the general last hour, but we got to get there again. The breakdown in communication between Mike Vrabel and the Adams family and Rand Carthen and how the whole thing went down. It really is a saga. It's almost 30 for 30 worthy. Yeah, and it's soap opera worthy in some sense. And it just shows you the, the, that ego and communication are two of the most massive things for a professional sports organization to have. And that's really what this was kind of all about. 
and it had to do there's so many different convoluted things joe rex road and diana rossini contributed to the story for the athletic one of the things that they mentioned was how upset amy adams strunk was the fact that the texans went in there all and without cj stroud went in there and beat that team as they were wearing their Oilers jerseys, she was absolutely furious. This is awesome. Doesn't this that. validate everything? It, absolutely. It, well, it didn't need validation, but it further validates. Mm -hmm. It shows you how special that day was. Yep. And we talked about it with Greg Grissom earlier about how there's so many victories this year you could point to just unto themselves and say, mm -hmm. that was so special. That was a yeah. bowl game that day. It really was. You went up there. They were in the Oiler uniforms. Case Keenum does the job. And just to hear after the fact, to get semi-confirmation through this story, that she was so upset about it, that mm -hmm. might have almost directly led to the firing. That might have been the straw that broke the camel's back to get rid of Rabel. That is awesome. Yeah, very. And there were other there were other points of contention. And, and you brought this up. I can't remember if it was on there or off the air. You brought this up it was at on. some point. We talked about Mike Vrabel being uh, inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame or Ring of Honor mm -hmm. or whatever they call it. And so he went up there and they give him the, the red jacket. And his speech to the fans was essentially, and, and to the former players and current players, like, hey, you guys have it good up here. Yeah. I've been other places and it's not like this. That was interpreted back in Nashville as a shot to the employer he yes, works for. Very yes. much so. And I, you asked me, and I just kind of poo pooed it like, nah, you know, he's whatever. He's just up there. I wasn't referring to the speech, though. I was referring to <clears throat> going at all. Yeah. It's during the season. Yeah. Really? You're yeah. going up there? Yeah. You're going to go up there to be inducted during the year. It would be one thing if it was in May or something and it's a dinner. This is a game. You're a head coach sitting in the press box or the uh, suite, rather, coming down to the field, getting honored. I don't agree with that at all. Wait another day, do it another time, or just don't show up at all. You yeah. are. You, you, you're a rival. You hope you're a rival. You beat them in the playoffs in 2019. Some crafty work by the Patriots fans, because apparently it's the Patriots fans who vote on who gets into the Patriots Hall of Fame. Ah. So maybe they had some nefarious way of going about it, like, hey, maybe this will anger everybody in Nashville. And it did. I don't think the Patriots fans. I'm not going to give them that much credit. But um, that was that was another that was another one. But. So you've got large egos when you're talking about a principal owner, a head coach, and a GM. So when John Robinson was fired, apparently Vrabel didn't have the say that I thought he would have in the GM. That Amy Adams Strunk really liked Rand Carthon, and Vrabel said, yeah, I think he's good, but I, I think it's, it's going to be a bit overwhelming to be the general manager. Mm. I think he should be the number two in charge here, number three in charge, whatever it was, be the assistant GM. And she apparently didn't care for that all that much. She didn't want to give him power. So she, so that, the, so that situation happens. Then one of the things that happened after apparently that whole Patriots um, debacle for the Titans, apparently he never went up and refuted all the talk about, oh, the Patriots are going to make a play for Vrabel. And, and he was like, well, why do I have to do that? I mean, that's just salacious rumors. I'm not going to respond to salacious rumors. But apparently, they wanted him to shoot that down. Right. And because he didn't shoot it down, because he didn't think he needed to. Did anybody ask him, though? 
Right. I don't know. Well, I don't know. They got upset. So, again, it goes back to communication at that point. It's, you know, some of the things that the owner perceived, some of the things the head coach perceived, they didn't discuss it or communicate it, kind of work through it, and then it becomes contentious, and then by the end they're not talking about it, and there's hard feelings on, on either side. And it leads to a two-minute meeting on Tuesday or Monday after the season, and Vrabel's out. Two minutes. Two minutes. He's coached the year in 2021. Two years later, he gets two minutes, and he's out. Welcome to the NFL, because that's how it goes. Look, when they hired Rand Carthon, I was surprised because I thought Vrabel would be able to make the hire. I thought Vrabel would right. get control, have control. They would trust him. And I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or in between. That's just what I thought was going to happen in Nashville. Mm -hmm. It obviously didn't happen. And look what happened. I went off about John Robinson the other day saying, hey, they've always had a winner with John Robinson, and he didn't do everything right. And a lot of guys say, no, he did a lot wrong, Mark. You're wrong about John Robinson. Yeah? Well, how's it going now? Right. But, you know, you guys be right. You be right. How's it going now? You tell me, and we'll see where it goes from here. And I'm watching this closely. Obviously, we all are, all these hires, because – you know, you want somebody going to Nashville that you feel good about. And mm -hmm. by feel good about, I mean that the Texans can take advantage of. So right. we'll see how this goes. Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about, you know, coaches, Vrabel was there. His first year was 18. Yeah. Right? 18. That would have made him the seventh longest tenured coach in the NFL. If he... 2018. What? 2018 doesn't seem five years ago, right? Right. Five years ago, it doesn't seem like a long time. Okay, so seventh longest tenured, and right. you have to include Belichick, Carroll. No. Belichick, right now. Oh, longest, right now. Right he, now. Longest tenured head coach in the NFL is who? Harbaugh. No. I mean, um, Tomlin. Tomlin. Yeah. Then Harbaugh. Then Harbaugh, yeah. One year less. Andy Reid. Now, obviously, he was with the Eagles before that, but he got to Kansas City in 2013. Tied for fourth. They all came in in 2017. Sean McDermott, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan. Okay. Vrabel would have slid in between that. This is when I went, oh, my gosh. Tied for seventh. Zach Taylor and Matt LaFleur. Yeah. They're it old feels stalwarts. like they just got there. I know. Hey, to me, it feels like Andy Reid just got to Kansas City. No, that's true. But that's my life. That's yeah. how I feel. It just feels like they got there. Now, tied for ninth, Kevin Stefanski. And Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys. What? Yes. Mike McCarthy is one of the top 10 longest tenured head coaches <laughs> with his stint well, with the Cowboys. When you have six, seven openings a year, this is what's going to happen. Right. You know, in two years, you clean out half the league, and there you go. Right. So that's Very how true. it all works. Coming up, a Nico Collins appreciation segment. Nico plays, Nico interviews. Casario on Nico, CJ Stroud on Nico. Let's get to Nico Collins, his own appreciation segment next on Texans Radio. As promised, a Nico Collins appreciation segment for the third year receiver out of Michigan who put on a show this year, almost got to 1,300 yards, 1297. On 80 catches, career bests for Nico Collins, only the third ever Texans receiver to eclipse 1,200 yards in a campaign. Eight touchdowns for Nico, 
And yards per catch, this is another number we look for. Noah Brown actually got fourth in the entire NFL on 33 catches, 17.2. That is awesome stuff. But Nico, with his 80 catches, he was seventh in the NFL in yards per catch, 16.2. Good stuff. Is that enough numbers for you? Let's get to Nick Casario's assessment because we asked the executive vice president and general manager about how gratified he was seeing a guy he drafted in 2021 do this in 2023. Yeah, you're always happy for the players when they have success. Um, Nico's worked really hard. He's put a lot of time and kind of going what we just talked about. I think there was belief. I mean, Nico has always been a talented player. Um, he had a great offseason of preparation. Um, and there's some things that we modify. We've talked about in the show a little bit, kind of how we play in terms of emphasizing some of the run after catch principles, how we coach it, how we teach it. Bobby brought that with him uh, from San Francisco. And then you saw it manifest itself into Nico's play. I mean, Nico's 6'4, 225, 30 pounds. He's a big, strong physical player. And you saw that more and more this season. Um, and he executed. And the big thing with Nico is just each week you could count on him, he was dependable. And he has really strong hands. He makes a lot of catches, contested catches. Um, and then he was better with the ball this year than he'd been in the past. So it's a credit to Nico. It's a credit to the work that he put in with the quarterbacks. Um, it's a credit to Coach McDaniels, who spent a lot of time with them, really, all, over the course of all three seasons. So, you know, fortunate to have Nico here and excited to see him have success. All right, there's Nick Casario on Nico Collins as the Nico Collins appreciation segment continues. What about quarterback C.J. Stroud as Stroud helped Nico Collins light it up on Saturday night, almost 200 receiving yards. He was electric. Here's the QB on Nico. Uh, I think he just stamped, stamped who he is. Um, I, I told him when, when our first time ever working out together, I said, bro, you a superstar. I, even though I was young, I never even snapped the ball yet in the league, but I just can. I know good receivers. When I, I mean, I played at Ohio State where we have tremendous receivers, and you see what they did. But um, my, I told him, man, my goal is to is to make you look as best as as best as you can, to make you look like you. And um, I appreciate him just being being just a consistent great friend to me, um, uh, somebody who I can just let my hair down with. Um, and I think our chemistry um, it shows on the field. You know, our friendship shows on the field. So. I'm super proud of that dude, man. Um, and it's just the beginning for him. More from the Nico Collins appreciation segment. Johnny and I visited with him a while back as we got to know him a whole lot better. Let's drop in on some of that conversation. For those people that don't know, you've got to be one of the nicest people we've ever met. But on the field, yeah. do you have to go to somewhere different in your mind, Nico? Like, uh -huh. do you have to, you know, the great ones, you know, Jordan always, Jordan always tells a story about the Bradford Smith. Where the Bradford had scored 37 on him the day before, you know, the, literally the day before, yeah. and he kept that in his mind. He's talked about how the Bradford Smith had said these things to him, and he never did. But Jordan mm -hmm. was just creating that in his mind. He had to go yeah. to a place mm -hmm. out on the court. Do you have to go to like a different place mentally to be on the field? Because you are the nicest guy I think yeah. we've ever met in this studio. Do you have to go there on the field? Um, you know, I do. You have to. You know, I feel like you step between the lines, go time. You know, you gotta. It's go mode now. You know, you got to, you know, all the, the time and work and preparation you've been putting in, you know, it's time to, you know, shine under the lights, man. You know, go out there and trust the process, you know, trust all the work you've been putting in and it's going to show up. All right, so Johnny talked about Michael Jordan, who yeah, uh, played his last finals before you were born. Oh, so, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. All right, but let's talk about this. <laughs> Your favorite time, athletes growing up, no matter what the sport was, yeah. whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever it could be, 
share with us some of that. Um, I say basketball. I say um, LeBron. Mm-hmm. Okay. I say that's that's the guy I probably grew up. Have you gotten into LeBron. any major LeBron versus Michael debates and have to go back and look at Jordan a little bit? Uh, yeah, a lot, man, a lot. You know, I'm not really sure with the Jordan because I not that was my era. Right. You know, so I really Understood. can't. I can't. Understood. I can't argue about that one. You know, so I can. I can say LeBron, man. He's he's a dog. Mm-hmm. You know, ever since I'm watching him. You know, since I was playing AAU and playing basketball, you know, that's one guy I wanted to be like. And um, I'd say if it was up to me, I'd say LeBron maybe better than Jordan. Okay. I can All say right. that. We'll, we'll still be I friends. Really... We'll still be friends for now. <laughs> you know, it, it's okay. funny with basketball and football really... because in this game, you have to be so one. patient to get your opportunities, right? In basketball, you're getting the ball every time down the yeah. floor, every other time down. You know you're going to have it in your hands even if you don't shoot. You're going to uh-huh. be able to impact things. Sometimes as a receiver, well, you're trying to get people to come with you or you know you might not get the ball. You have four catches. That's a pretty good day. You know, yeah. I know you want yeah. more, but you have to have a lot of patience. Yeah, you do. You do, man. You know, because like I said, like in practice, you know, it's different in the game. You know, you think, you know, in practice you're going to get a scout team, but then in practice you're getting what, a lot of catches. <laughs> like, all right, yeah, in a game, hopefully I get the same, but – Time is is different, man. You know, it's things you got to adapt to, you know, for sure. But I'm glad, you know, to be in a great position. You know, mm-hmm. I'm glad to get four targets. You know, great to have an opportunity. I'm sure you being a LeBron fan, you know, he was a tremendous receiver too. Oh yeah. In high school, he's a tremendous receiver. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, right, he was he was incredible. He stopped playing football his senior year because well, he knew he yeah. was the chosen one. Yeah, he was yeah, going to yeah. go play. But a lot of kids nico now are like i'm specializing in one sport mm-hmm. you played a couple of sports mm-hmm. how did playing basketball make you a better football player and vice versa cool. yeah man i say just like rebounding for instance you know in basketball when the bound the ball bounced off the rim you go get it at the highest point right you know this is like catching a fade almost you know when the ball in the air you go attack it at the highest point um i say what just footwork yeah you know just um, body positioning quick, body position to boxing out yeah man, just quick change of directions you know, because the receiver do the same, come in and out of breaks. And um, I feel like just things like that really translate from the court to the football field. How's the camaraderie between you guys in the receiver's room? Everybody together, how do you guys get along? A lot, man. We got this one game called Spicy Uno. Uh, okay. We go to play, man. And, um, I'm, I'm still I'm still adapting to it. You know, I'm, still, I'm not sure really how it goes. It's not your normal Uno. But um, <laughs> Spicy not, Uno. Spicy Uno. Okay. Spice. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. You got to go a little deeper. I, the Harris yeah, family is I, big playing Uno. Spicy Uno? Yes, exactly. I'm a, I'm a huge Uno player, but yeah. it's Spicy Uno is something about it. It's about the rules. You know, they take one of them to explain. I can't really explain it. It's Uno with a little extra job. Yeah, it's, it's real extra. <laughs> we talked about this before, Nico. Growing up in Alabama uh-huh. and then going to the University of Michigan, coming back down, being in Houston, do you feel like you're kind of back in the South, kind of back home being in Houston? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the I say the, the weather. Yeah. You get to feel like oh, yeah. back in the South, man. You know, nothing like the humidity. Um, you know, the weather, you know, great great food. You know, it, it was great food in Michigan, too. But yeah. I feel like the South is, is different, you yeah. know, for sure. But it's great to be back, you know, in the South, for sure. I got one on social media. Are, are you, You're on Instagram, right? Yeah. And Twitter. Yeah. Which do you like better? I like Twitter. Yeah. I like Twitter. To use or to you know sort of peruse and read the tweets. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. I just read. You just read, yeah. Maybe like you're not tweeting much. No, not much. All right. But we're gonna read we're gonna I hope you retweet us because we'll tweet out that you're on the show. You. Okay. That's cool. All right. No doubt. Thank <laughs> Thanks you so a lot much. for joining Appreciate us. Thanks for having me. All right. Appreciate it.
All right, that's John Harris and I with Nico Collins a while back, just getting to know the receiver a little bit better in this Nico Collins appreciation segment as the Texans get set to take on the Cleveland Browns on Saturday at 3.30. You want to go a level deeper? There's nothing deeper than Drew's dozen. Weird questions from Drew for Nico Collins. How did that go? Nico Collins, the okay. animal you would least like to be around is what? A lion. A lion. Mm. Okay. Gorilla. Gorillas. Yeah, those two. Sneaky strong. Yeah. Very. Unpredictable. Mm. You never know when they're going to flip that switch on you. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Got any pets? Yeah. I do. I have a rock rock. Oh, boy, girl. Yeah. I got a boy. What's his name? Uno. Uno. Like the game? Uno. Oh, like the game. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got him during COVID because, you know, I love playing Uno. Uh-huh. Favorite game. And, you know, I feel like he, was, he, he looked good. So I feel like one name Uno. Uno's a good name. I like it. Yeah. So, how much food do you have to buy for Uno on like a regular? A lot. A lot. I normally just go to Target and get the, the big bag. That's probably, what, 70 pounds? Costs a lot. That's probably like $100. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I get mad every time. I swipe my card. Like, why does <laughs> dog food cost so much? But, you know, I feed them that and I give them some ground beef or whatever. Make sure they get the protein. Now, you're a big, strong football player. Yeah. But does Uno sometimes take you for a walk or are you taking Uno for a walk? <laughs> it depends on Uno C. Yeah. If you see something you like, he's still taking me for a walk. But, you know, I try to, I try to get him right, you know, get him in his command and yeah, I was by my side. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Rots are smart dogs. That's, yeah, uh, you know, him, sounds man. like a fun guy. Nah, like he is. Real cool. Yeah. Like that. Does he do yeah. any fun tricks or anything? Nah. Well, he, he liked to play with his tire. He has a tire he played with, like a small, like, car tire. Uh huh. Spare tire. Yeah, that's his little thing. Like, he throw it up, toss it around. So he's like I a football player. You guys yeah, flip tires to stay in shape. Yeah. Easy. Same thing. Easily. If you didn't set an alarm, what time would you wake up in the morning? Seven, like 7 30. Not Let's bad. Yeah. But I'm going right back to sleep, though. Yeah. It's one of those. Uh, yeah, I'm up too early. Nah, I'm going back to sleep. Take a bit. There are a few better feelings in the world than uh-huh. waking up knowing you don't have to go anywhere mm. and you get to go back and roll, roll back over and go to sleep, right? <sighs> too best feeling. What are the, what's, what's a better feeling than that? Is there one? I mean, yes, there is. It is. Yeah. It is. But knowing, like, you got a lazy day. Yeah. Alarm go off. You can shut that thing off. Use the bathroom real quick. Come back. Nah. Just feet right. Bundle up right, man. Just lay down. Get your feet right? Yeah. What do you mean? Like, you like lay on your side. I like lay on my side. Oh, okay. Left side. You know how you kind of just rub your feet together. Oh, oh. There you go. There you go. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going on a road trip. It's you and you get three teammates. Who's coming with you? What are the other three? Who are the other three? Oh, I can only get three? Yes. Okay. What are we doing on this trip? You're going to go to Florida. Okay. Beach trip? Miami. Yes. Mm, just so you like got to go chill. all the way down. Mm. Miami. I got to take a Florida dude with me. If you know Florida, I'm going to take my boy Brea. Brevin Jordan? Okay. Take my boy Tank. Tank Dell's a Daytona Beach guy. Come on. Who else in Florida? There's a lot of cats in Florida. I might take my boy DP. Denzel Perryman? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> that was DP. Oh, Damian Pierce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, Pierce. yes. Yeah, yeah. Played at Florida. Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, Who's I'm a teammate? Uh, okay. Doesn't mean you don't like him, but he's got to roll separately. He's not coming on the road trip. Who's oh. that? I ride with Dal- Dalton. Dalton, okay. Dalton. He's got to be. He's on the outside looking he's in. On the outside looking in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, we had Devin Singletary on last week. Mm-hmm. He chose Austin Deculus as the guy who's got to ride alone. <laughs> he got to ride alone. Yeah. What are yeah, the snacks? I can see that. What are I the snacks though? What are y'all bringing? Or drinking? Ooh, drinking. Okay, snacks for sure. You got to bring a sour patch kit. Mm-hmm. Sour con. You got to bring um hot Cheeto. Ooh. Hot fries. Whatever. No suggestion. Suggestions up to you. Uh, you got to have a Gatorade. Blue pair. The blue. Yep. What else? Beef jerky? Uh, I'm not really a beef jerky guy. Well, yeah. Chips, for sure. I love Doritos. Mm-hmm. What else? 
I was about, about all this night. You gotta okay. have some water. What are you guys talking about? What's the conversation? We're in Miami. Trying to get on the boat. <laughs> get on the yacht or something. <laughs> Float the city, you know, just see how that is. Uh, for sure, gotta hit the club. Nightlife. Gotta enjoy nightlife in Miami. Yeah. Gotcha. I feel like that's like a mandatory, like, you gotta go to dinner. Whatever the conversation is, that's gonna get brought up. You know, I feel like there's no, no ceiling. You know, they just open up to anything. Let's talk about family. Mm -hmm. Your family's going on a family feud. So, Ooh. which of the family members mm -hmm. is gonna be the one that has the most inappropriate answers? That makes Steve Harvey just do the face towards the camera. Yeah, he just looks. Yeah. I love family feud. I watch that like every day. Ooh, I say my brother, my older brother. Okay, what's I his name? Deshaun. Deshaun, okay. Yeah. What's he gonna do? Not do nothing, but I feel like his answer is probably going to be like, girl, why did you say that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, just one of those, but I feel like it would be him. Okay. Not everybody. What are some of your favorite football movies of all time? I got a couple. I got a couple. Friday Night Lights. Really? It's number one. Booby Miles. It's my go-to. Booby Miles. Booby Miles. So sad. Yes. Yeah. Booby Rest Miles. in peace. I remember the Titans. Okay. Any Given Sunday. Solid. During Good Fox. movie. Yeah. I was in that movie as an extra. Way back in the day, yeah. Yeah, you got to show it to me. Uh, you don't see me or hear hey, me. I promise I was in there. I, I believe, I believe. It was that scene where uh, the guy that got pushed, the reporter. Yeah. Pacino has a press conference and apologizes. But Pacino, Cameron about. Diaz, that yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. So, yeah. I thought those three. Those three? Those, those are good ones. Three. Yeah, I feel like nothing's going to beat those three. I like those it. I like it. Solid. Very good choices. Solid movies. Which mm -hmm. teammate of yours is the funniest? Man, I'm not going to lie. We got some characters on the team, man. I feel like JG. John Bernard is Bernard, funny. Dude, he's hilarious. How come? Just like the jokes he made, man. Just like just being around him, I swear you're gonna laugh at least once a day, twice a day. Just like mandatory, you're gonna laugh. A couple guys on the old line, Austin Douglas. Austin Douglas is funny, huh? He's hilarious. Man, it's, it's a lot of people, man. It's a lot of people you, you least suspect that's like funny. Grenard sure. and Deculus. So those are two yeah. I've not heard before. That's Grenard, really Grenard number one for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If you were not a football player, what would you be doing? I feel like I'll be coaching. Yeah? Yeah. I like coaching like the youth. Cause I have two little nephews, you know, they're in sports. I was in sports as well. And, uh, like, I like just seeing them just, you know, just ball out at a young age, you know, just showing them the rights and the wrongs, you know what I'm saying? Just sure. watching them grow. So I feel like just the youth, I feel like I'd be a youth football coach. Yeah. Or just being around the youth. You learn a lot so, about yourself, man. You do. You do that. Yeah. yeah. Do, are they playing all sorts of sports? Yeah. 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 They playing football, basketball, and baseball. There you go. All three. Just letting them just pick one and just have fun. Coach, mm -hmm. thank you so much for the time. Oh, that's it? Can't wait to do this again. Oh, that was quick. Anytime. I got you. <laughs> There's Drew with Nico Collins a while back asking his weird questions. And that concludes our Nico Collins appreciation segment. Oh, my gosh. It's great to have him on this team. You think about the great receivers who have been in this organization and years one and two. He showed you flashes. He showed you signs. This year, he showed it all, almost 1,300 receiving yards. So very cool stuff from Nico Collins in the 2023 campaign. Can't wait till the 2023 season postseason campaign, which starts Saturday at 3.30 against the Cleveland Browns. And you know what? On Fridays, they do the Behind Enemy Lines segment. I'm going to have my own version next as we will hear from Kevin Stefanski, the other coach of the year candidate coaching the Cleveland Browns. What does he have to say ahead of this matchup with the Houston Texans? It's next on Texans Radio. Texans Radio, final segment of tonight, and I mentioned it before the break. I'll mention it again. 
that on Friday nights, Johnny and Drew, they do this behind enemy lines segment, interviewing a media member from the opposing team. Listen, let's hear from the head coach. Let's do that. Let's hijack this segment with Kevin Stefanski, who worked in Minnesota. Gary Kubiak worked with him and really liked him, thought highly of his talent. Obviously a talented head coach. He's already won one Coach of the Year award. Let's see if he can win another, and let's hope not, because I think our guy deserves it. I've gone over this material. Maybe I'll hit that again tomorrow, but let's hit this. Kevin Stefanski led the Browns, coached the Browns, to a victory over the Texans on Christmas Eve, but he's clear. He's no dummy. This is a different Texans team than the Browns saw at the time. It'll be almost three weeks ago. Excited about the opportunity we have in front of us uh, going down there to play a very, very good Houston team. We're also excited that we're the uh, first game. We don't have to wait an extra day, so we get to get up and go. But, you know, looking at this game, I know we recently played this team. As you know, they're different. Everybody's different each week, but C.J. Stroud's a great player. I mean, he's a great player, so we did not face him in the first one. You know, there's injuries that guys that are back on defense that they didn't have. They've signed a couple free agents on defense. So really, as, as everybody knows, you're a different team week to week, and, and certainly this is a different team we're facing, but I know it's a very, very talented team. They're very well coached. I have a ton of respect for D'Amico, his entire coaching staff. So it's a great challenge, uh, but we're really focused on on the work that's going to go into it uh, this week. Well, you can tell he's paying attention because, you know, several Texans are coming back who did not participate in that game and some who did not participate in the last Texans game played, which was against the Colts in a victory. I don't have to refresh your memory on that one, do I? Stefanski also was asked about what stands out about C.J. Stroud when you look at him on tape. Yeah, you know, I, he's a he's awesome. Uh, we I remember watching him early, Tom, because we had some crossover tape and getting ready to play Baltimore. I know he played in that. That was his first game. And I think even in that game, you saw some plays and some throws uh, where you knew right away that that, that kid was, was really, really talented. And, and, you know, I know our the state has seen him play quite a bit. He's a, a very... Uh, talented young man uh, and, and I think the the tape is what we as coaches always kind of go back to and he's got some really great tape well wait till you see him in person also what about the Texans how different will they be not just in personnel but in scheme that was asked of coach Stefanski of the Browns yeah, I mean, you play those, uh, you talk through those type of things. And, you know, same idea from our perspective. Uh, you know, it's that chess match of things that we tried. You know, are you going to try it again? Are you going to try it a different way? Are they going to adjust? It's it's all those things that you go into a game, you have conversations about, but you really don't know until you get into the game. Uh, and sometimes you won't know till the third series. And, and so there's always that chess match that takes place between uh, the staff and, and, and their staff and see what their answers are. And you better have, you know, counter punches ready. Well, and a counterpunch belongs to Joe Flacco at the quarterback position for the Cleveland Browns. And by now, you know the whole story that Flacco was out of football on his couch, so to speak, and waiting for a phone call. Maybe he could play somewhere and he could play in Cleveland, as it turns out, and could play very well. Super Bowl experience, Super Bowl run that was really amazing. Didn't throw a pick in that 2012 postseason and never had a one and done as a starting quarterback in the NFL playing for the Baltimore Ravens. Just amazing stuff. Now I talked with Ian Eagle. That interview is up on the website, the app, because we aired it on the show last night on Texans All Access. It'll be on the Vanderpod this week as well. And Ian has been in many production meetings. This is when you sit down with several of the players and the head coach separately and you get some inside info, if you will. 
But he told me that he's taught to Flacco many years in this league, getting ready for CBS broadcasts, and he's doing the national Westwood one feed in this game between the Browns and the Texans. But he said Flacco was always he was always intense, had this level of stress, if you will, but let's just call it intensity. And I think that's what he did. But he said now Flacco seems so relaxed, just so chill about the whole thing at 38 years old. So Stefanski was asked, what does Joe Flacco do for him with all his playoff experience at this point? Yeah, I think all of our you know veteran players that have been in these type of games and, and veteran coaches that have been in these type of games, I, I think you can certainly message to the young guys. The, the rookies are really the ones that are you know have not experienced these type of uh, games and uh, younger players. So you want to just message to them again, going back to what we were talking earlier, that what wins uh, doesn't change. Uh, it ultimately co- does come down to doing your job uh, and doing all those little things. All the little things, so we'll see how they pan out on Saturday at 3.30. Look, we have so many things to get to before we get to that game. Like Texans Extra Points on ABC 13 will air at a special time. Be right after Nightline, so around midnight on Friday. You can check that out on ABC 13 and on YouTube as well if you want to check it out digitally first. Texans 360 Saturday night after the game. And Texans All Access, 6 o'clock on Friday night, and it'll be available via podcast shortly afterwards where Johnny's going to have me talking with D'Amico. Johnny and I will break down the game. Final thoughts, Johnny's Keys, that's always a must-listen on Friday night. Drew Doherty's going to catch up with a player, too. Jonathan Grenard will be on the show. Oh, boy, J.G. To have J.G., Will, Blake. Oh, let's go. Let's go. Never mind C.J. Stroud, the starting quarterback. Yeah, he wasn't around the last time these two teams met, and I just can't wait. I know you feel the same. Saturday at 3.30 with the kickoff, 12.30 countdown to kickoff on Sports Radio 610 Texans Radio. Have a great night. Go Texans.